Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, you know you can love your work. If you've been listening to me at all, you know that's not just some fancy little saying, some little pipe dream. No, that's a reality. You can love your work. You know, I've just had the pleasure of being out for a couple weeks. One of those was on a cruise. Magnificent trip. Wonderful time. And you know, I was talking, actually, we were, our, our friends Michael and Gail Hyatt were with us, and we were, you know, sitting there on a the deck in the sun, enjoying it. And I said, you know what? I look around, these people, a lot of these people are dreading what they're going to go back to on Monday. Go back to their little apartments, their boring job, concrete and asphalt, horns blaring, people upset. And I said, you know what? We're going to go back to the amazing lives that we have, where we live, the kind of work that we do, the people that we hang out with. I mean, golly, there's no distinction there. It's not like I have to get away from this so I can go somewhere and really have a good time. I have a good time every day. Well, I hope you do too if you don't. Stick around. We're going to talk about how you can do more of that. This is online 48 days radio show where we take 48 minutes each week to unpack some of the questions that you, the listeners have great questions as always got some dynamite ones again today. Somebody wants to know why can't my dad see the advantages of being self-employed? Well, there's an interesting question. You know, sometimes the people that are closest to you have the hardest time embracing what you're doing, especially if it's something a little more non-traditional or creative. Well, we'll talk about that. Our theme for today is praying or procrastinating. Well, this comes out, well, I'll share with you why here in a minute. Some other questions are going to be, what should my main takeaways be in going to conferences? Great question. You ought to go with a plan, not just to have a couple days out of the office or away from your job or business. What are you going to do while you're there? Dan, can I combine art and ministry and make a living? How about this one? Dan, can I work for you for free? Well, <laughs> come on down. Uh, and somebody says, Dan, would you consider allowing me to cater one of your innovate events? I'll talk about how we do that, how we work with people for the wonderful fun events that we have here. Well, here's a quotation. This is actually one of mine, and I know it's going to uh, stir some feathers out there, but just think about it. Just think about it. You all are thinking brilliant, intuitive people if you're listening to this. So I'm not talking to the average guy in the street. I know that. But just think about this. Indecision and the unwillingness to take action are often described as patience or waiting on God. Now, I won't go into all the examples of where I've heard that misused over the years where people, 14 months, no job. Well, I'm just waiting on God. Are you serious? The kids are starving. The mortgage company wants to be paid. You're waiting on God. Don't put that on God. Well, I won't, I won't go deep into that. Well, here's a couple of success stories. I like to always start off with those. Always got lots of them. Josh Bullock, who's an active member in 48days.net, said, now he'd sent me a couple notes here, but I've also been watching the train of things that he's doing in 48days.net community. 
And he says, last week I mentioned that I plan on having my seminar website up next month. It's actually up now. You can find it at thinkandgrowevents.com. Now, Josh is one who took action. You've heard me mention multiple times that there ought to be a clearinghouse for conferences and events. I mean, they're all over the place. I get notifications of hundreds of them, but there's not really a clearinghouse that I know of. Well, a couple people have mentioned doing something on that, but Josh actually took action. He has a website up. I love the initial look of it, Josh. Think and grow events. And it'll be a place where you can go and both list and find conferences. I love that. I mean, I love what I'm seeing already. Just being able to scroll down through. I mean, I'm always deciding what are three or four conferences that I'm going to go to this year. Now, I've got this year pretty well mapped out, but I mean, I certainly would love to have a place to, to refer people to. There's lots of great things out there. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about conferences here and a little bit how to take advantage of those. Now, here's a note that comes from Jared, who says, Dan, I want to thank you for your inspirational work as you helped me through a tough transition in my life. I had to close a business. I started with an out-of-state partner after taking a lot of bad advice. I lost all I had in that first business venture. I had to return to working for a large company for a short time. And all the while I had to heal and work in my personal strength to get back on the horse and start my business that I was so passionate about. Now listen to what Jared has done in September, 2012. I started my new business. We finished 2013 with 1.6 million in sales. 2014 looks to be even better with more than 5 million in new construction projects already on the books. I was struck stuck in my own stew of mistakes and was hoping was losing hope. And by listening to you and finding my way back through belief in myself, I'm back where I was in 2009 looking for much better opportunities. Hope this finds you well. And I hope this could inspire others to not give up. I hold dear the quotation from Henry Ford, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. I'm not sure if this is exact phrasing, but I remember hearing you say it one day and that it's inspired me to get back on the horse. Well, Jared, thanks so much for your, for your note and sharing that success. That's a pretty amazing ramp up 1.6 million the first year over five, what over five projected for this year. That's pretty cool. Green bar construction out of Greenwood, Indiana. Hey, thanks for sharing that. We love hearing those stories. Well, I'm going to just stop it at that because we've got a lot of questions coming in, but you know the routine here. We're the champions. I'm going to share a little queen here just to remind us it's a great feeling to be on top. It's a great feeling to take action, do something, see the results of that, watch a business grow that quickly. All right. Hey, that's what it feels like when you're on top. Trust me. Joel from Kenosha, Wisconsin says, I seem to have a knack at acquiring things people are getting rid of. I've claimed TVs, floor rugs, floor lamps, coffee tables, microwaves. When I try to sell them online, like on Craigslist or eBay, I have minimal success. What other suggestions would you have to recycle these items? I know goodwill would be an option, but why give money away? Well, I think you're in a, you know, I mean, that's a reasonable business model to get things that other people are giving away. I've got a garage full 
things right now that I need to find a home for. My mother-in-law just died last month and just in cleaning out her few final possessions. There's not much, but uh, there's some things there that I'd be happy just to give away to somebody. I don't want to take the time to position them on Craigslist or eBay or have a garage sale. So we'll just find somebody who can use things and help clear that out. So there's plenty of people like me around where you can get things. You know, the question is, how do you sell those effectively? Now, Craigslist is pretty effective, but there's also free cycle. I mean, there's a lot of things as you describe the things you're describing here that are available free or for very little money. The question is, you know, can you make enough money in selling these things to justify your time? I mean, think about what a lot of people do at a garage sale. They get ready for the garage sale. They organize things and they price them and they get up early in the morning and they sit there and they spend a whole day, you know, and make $60 at the end of the day. You know, I'm, I'm not sure that's a good use of time. Now, if you enjoy it, that's fine, but I'm not sure it's a really great business model. So if you want to do that, you need to have things that are unique, things that people aren't going to find easily other places. You need to have some kind of a, a, a physical presence where people can see it easily. People aren't going to want to you know, drive 20 miles to see a $10 rug, as an example. It has to be really convenient. So your location is going to have a lot to do with your success if you're selling things like on Craigslist. So just identify if in fact this is what you want to do. There's a whole lot of people in the same market that you're in. So you got to figure out how are you going to make yourself distinctive? I mean, there's a place here locally called, I think it's called seek and find, but it's things where people have material that's on consignment. So it's nice things and it's on consignment, which means the owners are going to get some money. The people that are selling it are going to get a portion of it. It's like a 60, 40 split where the owner gets 60, the store gets 40%. So, but it allows them to have nice stuff. So it's not just things that people are getting rid of. We're really bottom of the barrel. So you got the eight, $10 stuff. So you might think about how you could position yourself if you want to be in this recycled mode, but how you can do it. So there's a unique niche. Benny says, Dan, thanks for all you do. I'm looking to set up displays and local stores to sell books like yours, Dave Ramsey's and books that we like, love and respect. Not sure what the best way is to set that up with a store. We'll pay where to get the books, maximum profit. Any advice would be appreciated. Well, Benny, you got a whole lot of research to do a whole lot of research. If you're asking these broad questions, you're going to find it's very difficult to get your own display in any store it's certainly not going to be a big name store or a chain store. So what you're talking about is little mom and pop stores where you may be able to get a book rack in there. But, you know, you aren't going to walk into a Barnes & Noble and have your own rack of books there or any other kind of store. I mean, you have to ask, where would it be appropriate? Where would it be exciting for you to even have a display? Now, I've been through a lot of airports the last couple of weeks. And, of course, there, there are a lot of displays. But, again, those are in primary bookstores, Hudson, other bookstores that have a presence in the big airports like that. You can't just go in as an individual, do that. It's going to be a pretty tough way to go to try to get space in those things. So then what do, what do you have to pay the stores? <laughs> Believe me, you know, they have to get a chunk. They have to get at least what we call keystone markup. So if they pay $2 for something, they're going to sell it for four. So if you've got a book, and you, if you bought it from the publisher at 50% off, which would be a pretty common 
kind of agreement. 50% off. So book retails for 20 bucks. We just use round figures, 20 bucks. You buy it for 10. You can't sell to the bookstore for 15 and think they're going to sell it for 20. No, if they pay 10, you know, they're going to want to pay or get paid 20, but they aren't going to charge 20 for a book because anybody can go to Amazon and get it for 14. So they really have to buy the book at about seven bucks, which would be under your cost in that scenario. So it wouldn't work. So you're going to have to figure out how you can get books at such dramatically reduced cost and even going directly to the publisher. You can't get them cheap enough to compete with what people can get on Amazon. A lot of, a lot of authors buy their own books on Amazon, their own books to sell at the back of the room and hope to make a couple bucks. Now that's because they didn't do a good job of negotiating their buyback agreement with the publisher, but that's, that's another story. I mean, I buy my books at drastically reduced prices because we sell lots of them. I can sell them anywhere and I can sell them way less than the people are going to find them anywhere else. But that's part of the negotiating agreement as an author with my publisher. But there are stages of discounts that you can get. Just real quickly, uh, things that we use here that you can use, you can be an affiliate of Amazon where you just refer somebody to books that they have. So if you go to my reading list on 48days.com, see the books I recommend, you go to Amazon, you purchase them, I get a 10% commission. So if you buy a book for $14, I'm going to get $1.40. It's not much, but it's a little bit. But I don't have to inventory. I don't stock them. I don't ship them. I don't do anything. I just refer the next level up would be as a distributor. So I can go directly to a publisher, say, I want to be a distributor. They say, fine, you can buy the books at 50% off retail. Well, again, that's a reasonable discount, but you have to be realistic about what the competition is today. Getting them at 50% off is still not going to give you a lot of margin unless you have some real unique way that you're selling them. Another way that we look for books and the way we do buy a lot of books is through liquidation. Books are going, I've been sent into liquidation very quickly. Doesn't mean it's a bad book. Well, there are a lot of great books that were just very poorly marketed and they go into liquidation very quickly. So I buy titles of books like how to make use of a useless degree, mompreneurs, books that whose content tie in with what we're doing here. And I can buy them for, you know, maybe a dollar and 32 cents, a book that retailed for 1495. Then we have enough margin to sell them. But and you've got a lot of research to do if you think you're going to get space in retail stores where there's enough margin for you to make money and for the retailer to make money. It's going to be pretty slim pickings. Ray says, I'm attending many conferences and meetups this year. What should be my main objective when I attend them? I hear some people say that one tip or takeaway could take my business to the next level, which means I need to listen to the speakers and take good notes. Others say the session's don't really matter. It's meeting people attending the conferences that will make it worthwhile. I even heard Cliff Ravenscraft say that being in the halls during other sessions are the best time to meet the speakers. What should my agenda be when I attend conferences? How can I add value to others? Here are the ones I'm attending. Dave Ramsey's Smart Conference in March in Dallas. The Catalyst Conference in May in Dallas. Podcast Movement, August, Dallas. I'm also a member of several meetup groups. Well, great question, Ray, and you do need to be intentional. Going to a conference should be a really good use of your time. Now, this is a this is a balancing act because there's a whole lot of value to be gotten from just meeting other people, certainly the speakers, but just the other people, meeting them in informal settings, picking their brains, 
you know, having lunch, dinner, breakfast, coffee together. I mean, those are valuable times at conferences. But let me give you some some real tips. I'll, I'll give you 10 quick tips for things that you do want to do when you go to a conference so that you don't just go kind of hoping something works out. No, don't do that. Number one, list three speakers that you want to meet. And why? Why do you want to meet them? Not just because you're fans and you just want to, you know, have your picture taken with. What do you want to ask a speaker? So that'd be number one. Number two, attend with someone who's just as interested in learning as you are. Sounding board, so you can be sharing ideas all the time. Number three, craft your elevator speech, telling who are you, what do you do, why are you here? So that any time you meet somebody, I mean, in 15 seconds, you can tell them who you are, what you do, and why you're here. Number four, have 50 sharp business cards with your elevator speech printed on the back. I'm Dan Miller. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is why I'm here. Number five, get to the meetings early. Talk to other attendees. Now, some people would say, you know, talk to the presenters. Don't do that. It's really pretty annoying when a presentation is going to start in five minutes and you've got 10 people standing there in line waiting to talk to you. I mean, as a speaker, you need to have time to collect your thoughts to be your best when you hit the stage. Don't do that. That's really an unfair expectation. But talk to other attendees. Number six, take 12 pre-stamped postcards to use as thank yous to people that you meet. So that means if you talk to Cliff Ravenscraft and he gives you a tip about your podcast, boom, get his business card, send him a thank you note right then and there. You don't even have to wait till you get back and try to remember what you talked about. Send him a thank you note right there. You know how impressive that is when by the time he gets home, he has a thank you card from you. So take 12 pre-stamped postcards that tell who you are, but just to thank people that you meet. Number seven, create a list of notes and questions as you listen. Always be doing that. I mean, what we hear, we remember so little of what we hear before you write it down. In addition to hearing it, we up the retention about 70% over the course of a week. Number seven, I mean, number eight, and they make at least two introductions per day between attendees that you've just met. So you say, hey, Dan, you know, I just met Tom yesterday. He's doing some of the same things you are. I want to introduce the two of you, get them together. You know, you, if you make yourself a connector, a resource like that, rather than always somebody who's just taking, it'll make you stand out. Number nine, identify five new people that you want to stay in touch with I mean, get their card, talk to them, recognize you have something of interest you want to share and you want to stay in touch. Find a reason to send them something that you know will help them. One of the things that I just, I, I met for the first time, Michael Stelzer, who is the social media examiner guy and heads up the big event coming up in San Diego, social media marketing world that's coming up next month. But he, Michael's a great guy, but I, in talking to him, I realized what a heart he has to be a good daddy. He's more concerned about being a good daddy than he is about making another million dollars in his business. Well, when I got home, I, I sent him a copy, not there, you know, don't give people things they have to remember to keep not there. But I sent him a letter after I got home just recapping the great conversation that we had had about raising sons and sent him a copy of wisdom meets passion, which is the book that I did with my son. He was really intrigued in that and just blown away that I actually 
you know, invested the time and effort to write a book with my son. So I sent him a personalized copy of that. But be prepared to do that. And then number 10, thank the speakers for sharing valuable insights. Sure. I mean, thank them. You'll get plenty of time to talk to them. Most conferences, certainly the ones I go to, there's a lot of mingling of speakers and people who are attending. And then after the conference, so those are 10 tips to maximize your time in attending a conference. After the conference, choose and prioritize 15 specific worthwhile ideas you got from the event. Do that really quickly. And then what I would recommend as well is that you carve out four hours in the first week to assimilate and implement the information that you got. Now, Tony, Tony Robbins, I heard him say one time that they know 78% of the people who get material at their, his events, they pull out their credit card, they spend hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars on materials, audio books and all that, take it out in grocery sacks. 78% of the people who get that material never open it up again. And the materials that they got at the conference, the conference materials, 70% of the people never open it again after the day they walk out of the conference. Don't be one of those people. Come back, give yourself four hours in the first week to go through the most important points that you got to both assimilate them and create plan of action. That can add zeros to your income dramatically. Great question. Sandy says, I'm very passionate about coaching. I've been taking some coaching classes through Light University Online. My challenge is I can't seem to move forward with settling on a niche. One area I'm drawn to is coaching younger women, teens to 30. There's such a need at this age to develop wisdom, assisting them with direction, preparing them for relationships, etc., to avoid some of the huge mistakes that can derail their lives. But since this age rarely has the money to invest in coaching, how could I make any money at it? Thanks for the amazing inspiration you've given me through the years. Well, thanks for your notes, Sandy. From Coon Rapids, Minnesota. Yeah, I think you're right to wonder if there is enough um, enough ability to write the checks for coaching in that range, teens to 30. Now, certainly, you can have a heart for them. You may make it a part of what you do. But I think when you start coaching, you know, don't narrow down too quickly to a niche anyway. Just get in the game of coaching. You may find that the mothers of those teenagers are really your better clients. They're more receptive. They have more ability to pay. They still are going to have a lot of impact on their teenagers, which is ultimately what you want to have. They may make a much better target audience for you than the teenagers themselves. My experience is I don't enjoy coaching teenagers. I don't enjoy coaching high school and college kids. You know, they, they know all the answers at that point. They haven't had enough life experience to bruise their knees and know which questions to ask. Now, again, that's a broad generalization. Obviously, there are people who do great at coaching teenagers and university students speaking to that environment. It's sure not one of my sweet spots at all, but you can decide who is your best audience. And there has to be a blend between who you really most, I mean, you, you may enjoy talking to the homeless people and helping them have more hope, encouraging them. But you're probably going to have a hard time creating an economic model for a business out of that. So that's going to have to be a part of what you do. 
create a realistic plan. How many people would you have to see at what kind of coaching fees for you to be successful as you define it as a coach? And then make sure that your target market really has the potential to match up with that. Dave from Mooresville, Pennsylvania says, Dan, I'm an artist and a minister who's been combining those skills with a creative arts speaking ministry for several years. In addition to this, I work a 40 hour week job. You've advised me in the past to pursue something outside the church to increase my income. I'm considering my skills and have decided to try doing workshops and seminars to help people build their creativity. My question is threefold. Do you think it's viable? How would you market this and to whom? And lastly, the most I've earned so far is about 45,000 a year. Have I been successful enough to consider this? Well, you know, that's, I mean, you can start anywhere. Certainly the fact that you've generated $45,000 doing that, if it's been $4,000 or 400,000, that's okay. You, you start with where you are. And certainly that you can combine your passion for art and ministry one of the things that I encourage people to do is identify your core message. What is that core message that you want to communicate and then find four or five different ways that you can deliver that message, you know, with mine in helping people really clarify their strongest talents, how to put legs on though, those in work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. And that's kind of my, my core message. So I can do that by doing personal coaching with an individual group coaching. I can do seminars and workshops. I can speak to audiences. I can do audio products. I can do instructional manuals. I can write books. I can write eBooks. When you see how you start to repurpose your message, that's what you need to do. So you don't have just one method of delivering what it is that you do. Now, even as an artist, you may think, well, you've got one shot. I mean, you do art one time and get paid once. That's certainly the traditional model, but more and more artists are figuring out how to leverage their art. And certainly we've seen people like, um, Oh, the painter of light. I can't even think of his name died a couple of years ago. I can't believe I can't think of his name. I will in a minute, but we have an artist who is coming back here who came and sculpted an Eagle now, it's going to be the 48 Days Eagle. It's called the Lot and the Launch. It's going to be installed before Innovate Conference coming up in March. It's going to be a beautiful addition to our property. But what I've encouraged Scott Stearman to do, in addition to doing the one piece that I'm paying him for, is to do computer-generated replicas. So we're going to have the 14-inch replicas of that. And we're going to have those available. Now... I mean, I love the fact that we're able to do that. And I hope that he makes a hundred times the money from us selling those replicas as he does from the original piece that he does for me, which I'm paying him well for that. But that's, and, and some artists resist that. They think, oh no, there's only the original. Well, if you lock yourself into things that you can only get paid for once, then you are going to put a ceiling on your income really quickly. You have to decide do you feel like it's cheapening your art if you have a way to leverage the message or the medium where you can duplicate it? I think you have to be realistic about finding ways that you can do that well. Matt says, I've written before you were very encouraging as an artist. I simply think I'm not good enough to make a living at it. So here we go again. 
that left me with glass engraving as an art form that might be turned into something, but still my process, which uses a photo stencil and sandblaster, is very slow. What I'm contemplating is laser engraving, but I'm hesitating as it would cost me about what my car does a month, apparently to lease the machine, and would have to earn money right out of the gate to make it worthwhile. How do I determine if this step is worth the cost or if I'm simply going to step into a pit I can't get out of? The laser works on most surfaces, not just glass. Yeah, I think I don't think that's something that you want to step into, frankly. When you, if you're talking about you haven't been able to really make money with your art, and so you've tried a little gra- glass engraving, and now you're going to try lasering. When you talk about doing engraving or lasering, you're just talking about a method. You're not just you're not really talking about doing art. You're just talking about a method of production. That alone is not enough to distinguish you, and it's not enough leverage. It's still the person creating the art who's going to make the money, or the person selling it, not just the person cranking out the work. I just got, we've got one of my mastermind groups coming here next week. So we've got 32 people who will be here in that mastermind. We produced for them, I shouldn't be telling it because some I want it to be a surprise, but we produced for them a beautiful rosewood pen set in a pen in a rosewood box that comes from p graham dunn it's a company up in ohio where they do laser work on wood their work is beautiful so we got these rosewood boxes and it says on the top of that then the person's name and then it says the best way to create your future or to predict your future is to create it and then it has 48 days mastermind under that and then you open it up and it has the person's name engraved on the pen as well so it's a beautiful set. Those really didn't cost a whole lot. I, I was surprised at how little that cost with all the engraving work being done. They have to crank out a whole lot of those for that to be really profitable. That's not where the money's made. It's in the unique creation of creating art and just doing the laser process is not creating art. It's just a, a method of production. Be careful at moving away from your art. I would encourage you to go back and revisit your art and really see what you could do with that. Hey, just a quick note about um, Innovate. I was talking to Ashley, my daughter, this morning, and we were talking about, you know, I'd love to do something unique just for podcast listeners. Sometimes it's hard for me to know, you know, podcast listeners listen on the go. It's not like, you know, 99% of you let me know that you're listening every week. That's not true. We can watch the numbers through Amazon and see that the numbers are quite large. You know, we have around 100,000 people, even through iTunes, let alone then those who listen through Zoom, Stitcher, Swell, and some of the other cool ways out there around our, around our site, the 48 Days site. So it's hard for us to track. Here's the deal. I would love to meet you at Innovate. Now, Innovate is coming up, and we're going to have people like Michael Hyatt and Ken Davis and Chad Jeffers, and people like that who are going to be here sharing. There's going to be art taking place or being developed right on site. We're going to unveil the eagle right here outside the sanctuary. We're going to have some spectacular giveaways, door prizes during that that I don't even want to share. I just want to surprise and wow people when they get here. But if you're a podcast listener, if you register for Innovate for March 20th and 21st, now it's coming up in a couple of weeks. If you register for that and just put in the notes that you heard about the event on the podcast, I'm going to single those out. I'm going to single those out 
And I'm going to make a secret rendezvous with you while you're here at Innovate to bring you into my office, close the door and do like a one minute clip where you get a chance to tell who you are, what you do, why you're here, but what your, what your message is that you're sharing with the world. And I'll play those in an upcoming segment of the, of the podcast. So again, if, if you register for Innovate, just go to the live events, find Innovate, the one coming up here, March 20th, 21st, register for that. Put in the notes that you heard me talk about this in the podcast. I'm not going to announce this in any other way at all, but I'll track those. I'll have the gals track those and uh, bring you in and we'll do that special little clip and include you in an upcoming podcast. Love to do that. Jeremy says, I watched a Ted talk that encouraged me to find someone whose work I admire and work for them for free. So do you have some work that I can do for you for free? I have about 10 hours per week that I can devote. I have IT skills. I've dabbled in blog marketing and content creation. Let me know what need you might currently have. I'm happy to take some things off your plate. No strings attached. Well, thank you, Jeremy. I mean, I take those kind of things very seriously. I mean, you wouldn't believe the cool, fun things that we've done with people over the years who have volunteered to do just like you're doing. And and this is not just a one directional thing. I've done a ton of that over the years. I mean, I've talked about the fact that in, in going to workshops and seminars, I contacted people like Brian Tracy and Tommy Hopkins and Zig Ziglar back in the old days, the big success conferences. And I do exactly what you're doing here and saying, man, I live here locally. I'll help you coordinate things. Joanna and I'll help work the table and sell your products. We believe in what you're doing. We did a lot of that where we just gave and gave and gave like that. We have a lot of people who are involved in the 48 days team who volunteer their services. The advisory team and 48days.net, there are 12 people on an advisory team. They're very active daily and monitoring things, screening new membership applications and all that. Those are all volunteers. I don't pay anybody anything for that. Now, what I want is that their involvement there benefits them greatly. And we've seen that play out. I want that to be the case, but I don't pay them anything. They volunteer. And in doing so, it creates a platform for them to be better known, it increases their credibility and all that. So certainly merit in doing that. But I, I don't know right off the top of my head, Jeremy, but I will certainly get back to you. Thank you so much for your offer. We just brought Jen McDonough on as a, our social media director. Now we are paying her, but for four months, she did that absolutely free. She said, let me just do that. You know, I'll just, we'll just increase what's happening on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and like that. And I said, Jen, I don't have time to really oversee that. If you want to just take it and do it, have at it. And she did an amazing job. And all of a sudden, you know, we're saying, whoa, we want her to do this. We want her to be committed to doing this. So we did work out an arrangement. But a lot of people have found their place by volunteering to do the work initially. So a very legitimate way to get your foot in the door. Latrice says, I've been in accounting for 20 years. I've come to the conclusion that I desire to switch industries entertainment industry from real estate accounting. I finally have realized that I don't want to spend the next 20 years crunching numbers, but I want to do something fun, creative, and exciting. I'm burned out of the current industry that I'm in. I need something new and exciting. Since I recently earned my master's in financial management, I'm very interested in getting into the entertainment industry on the productions promotions side. I've started back writing my short stories and poetry again. So I'm looking at building multiple income streams where I can have fun. I want to reinvent myself. 
I want to know how I can make a smooth transition into the world of entertainment. Well, with what you've described that you've just done, Latrice, we just got a master's in financial management. So you've just made a, a big investment of time and money in getting those credentials. So I'm assuming you aren't wanting to just walk away from that totally so that you still want to do number crunching in some form or fashion, just in a new industry. That's really not a quantum leap. You can do that read that, that soft realignment really easily. Go back and revisit your resume and make sure that it doesn't pigeonhole you just in the real estate industry. Just make sure you describe your transferable areas of competence in ways that would have application in the entertainment industry. That's not a big deal. I mean, that, that's not that's not a quantum leap at all. It's not like you're, you don't want to be a dentist anymore and you really want to be an electrician. I mean, not at all. You're talking about a very soft, subtle transition in industries. You can do that by just simply doing a good job search and targeting the companies with which you would want to be connected. Great question. Curtis says a month, a few months ago, you answered my question about transitioning to full-time catering. Here's another cool one. Uh, thank you for taking the time to do that. Also, since then, I've read Quitter. That's John Acuff's book, Gain Much Wisdom About My Transition Plan. That was a real life-changing recommendation from you. Uh, that book is amazing and very helpful for anyone looking to make the transition from corporate life. Dan, I had an idea I wanted to run by you. Through this long winter, I've worked on some new recipes, and I think my barbecue is pretty dang good. Your events have a good handful of people. They could use some delicious barbecue while their brains are in sponge mode. Would you consider allowing me to cater one of your innovative events? It would be an honor to meet you and cook for everyone at the class. I'm fully licensed and insured in Minnesota. Would make sure the same is taken care of in Tennessee. Thanks for all you do. All right, another offer to help us out here. Now, this is from Kurt and his Site is simply smokedcatering.com. I went to your site, Kurt, and it looks great. A couple of years ago, I had a lady contact me. Her name is Rosalie Harpool. She's an Italian cook, just an amazing lady. And she said, I need some help in what I'm doing. I wrote a cookbook, but I need to know how to leverage that and get speaking opportunities and things like that. You know, could I come and she offered the same thing. Could I come and maybe provide a meal for one of your events? I said, yeah, that sounds like a fun idea. Come on down. I said, we got an event coming up. I said, we'll have probably 25 people there. She said, oh, that's fine. I said, you can use our kitchen. It's right here on our property. So we set up to do that. About a week before the event, I called Rosalie and I said, Rosalie, you know, it looks like we're going to have maybe 40 people here at the event. Is that going to be a problem? Oh, no problem. No problem at all. I said, okay. Well, about two days before the event, I said, Rosalie, we should have put a cap on this, but we're going to have a much bigger crowd than what I thought. I said, we may have 60 people here. She says, oh, no problem. No problem. Well, we actually ended up having 76 people at that event. And Rosalie cooked the most outrageous, awesome Italian meal for us you've ever experienced. We had people rotating through our house. Now she and her husband, you know, cooked the meal. And I mean, I, I think we were scraping tomato sauce off of the walls six months later. I mean, the place was a disaster, but the food was just stupendous. It was an amazing. Now she cooked that meal. And what I, what we did in that situation, I paid for the actual food. 
So I, I paid for the food and then she did all the work. So there was no extra charge for that. Now, I just, I thought that was a reasonable way to do it. She was, she would have been tickled to provide the food. And I said, no, 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 no. I don't want you to do that. I'll pay for the food with this size group. You just add your creative style and your work to it. We'll be thrilled with that. So we did. Well, then afterward, we had her and her husband come back over here to the sanctuary. And we spent about an hour and a half with the group that was here who had just gorged on her amazing food giving her input as to what she could do to expand her business. It was, it was a really awesome experience for everybody. I mean, I remember it really well because it was so inspirational to just see the brain, the brainstorming done in the group to help her come up with ideas. And she did that. She went back. She's got new cookbooks out. She's been on every TV show in town. She speaks, she writes, she blogs. I mean, I still get her things. And that was, that was probably six years ago, at least when she did it, maybe more since then, her son has come to some of our events, Scott, we've gotten to know Scott and his wife. Uh, so there's been a family tradition there, but that's what we did with the Rosalie. So are we open to the idea? Yeah, absolutely. Now I'll have to say this. We're also pretty spoiled Kurt here in middle Tennessee. I mean, I have at innovate. We usually have famous Dave's come out here in their big red truck and do barbecue right here on location. We have, um, who else are we using these days? I mean, we have some amazing meals. We use uh, Susan Powers, who caters for the stars. I mean, she has a catering truck and she caters video shoots for the country music stars and all that. We use her for usually the closing event. And her meals are, again, just amazing. So we, we, we have to be really convinced we're going to get the absolute best food ever available before we block it in because we want the events that when people are here, we want every aspect of that. We want to touch every sense that they have and we want it to be a memorable experience and first class all the way. But yeah, shoot me some information about that. I mean, I'd be glad to look at it. I think it, I think it's a little complicated to come from out of state and do that. Um, and again, you, you've got some pretty, we've got the bar set pretty high here for how we deliver food at those events, but I'm certainly open to looking at something creative. Francisco says from Long Beach, Dan, thanks for reinforcing in me that thinking outside the box is okay. I came up with an item idea for an item, not in the market. I designed the logo, have it ready to show in 3d. I applied for a trademark, which is partially granted but to be finalized, they need pictures showing the product with labels and price tags. Had the idea all along to have a company that already makes these products to make and sell it. This item for sure would complement their product line. How do I negotiate this? Would they want to buy the trademark item if they decided to make it? Can I ask them to give me a percentage for every item sold? Should I apply for a design patent on my own first or ask if they want to use their own agent and pay for it? Deadlines are approaching. Well, you've got a, a whole bunch of really good questions, but there's a whole bunch of questions. This is not a cookie cutter process at all. If you have a new item, the chances of going to a company that's already established with some similar products and just saying, I have a new product that would improve one of yours or an add, add into yours, the chances of getting that done are really slim. Companies are very reluctant to do that. I mean, you can imagine, you know, McDonald's, how many times they're going to have somebody say, well, gee, I've got a better idea for dispensing the ketchup rather than being in those little packets. If you had a little cup where you peel the top off, it'd make it a lot easier to dip it. 
And, you know, I want you to pay me for my idea. Well, they're not going to pay anything for that idea. I mean, they, they, they have millions of ideas that are like that. And I probably run that up the flagpole. So there, you, you run into some real challenges. The way to prove that your idea has value is to do it yourself. So to get a prototype, get the trademark, get a nice name and trademark the name, produce it, go out here and prove that people really do want what you have. Then you have a story to tell. I mean, look at what happens on Shark Tank. When they walk in Shark Tank and Mark Cuban and Kevin and Robert and Barbara or Lori uh, start asking them questions, you know, they're going to want to ask them, how many have you sold? Well, gee, I've only sold, you know, $10 worth, but I think it's a great idea. Well, you see the sharks roll their eyes. There's no way in the world that you're going to get their money. They want people who have proven their idea where there's a ready market and you prove that people want what it is you have to sell. The option to doing that, now that takes a lot of work. It it really does. I mean, it takes way more time and money than we ever anticipate to bring a product to market like that. But that's where you then have value, where you really can tell a story and get other people excited about it. The option to that is to go with a company like Quirky. Now, you've heard me talk about them, quirky.com. Just look them up. They're a company where you can take just the raw idea where you just have a little prototype. You can take it to them and they'll help you with all those steps that you have identified. That's a very realistic way to do that. I love what they're doing with new ideas. They'll do all the legwork for you where yes, you do end up then getting a percentage of everything that's sold. That's a way to do it. You have to decide, can you take this all the way through to production and then do the marketing so that you get 10,000 units sold? And that's what I would suggest you do. I had a young guy one time who had what he thought was a better design for weightlifting gloves. Now, I'm not a weightlifter, but he was, and he had a better design. I said, cool. And he wanted to take it like the Nike or Reebok or somebody. And I said, you don't have a story to tell. You know, they're going to run you out of town. I said, you need to do a prototype, even if it's rough, even if it costs you more to make the initial run than what you think they ought to be. Get out here and you go to 30 health and fitness centers and you see if they're even interested. Well, he did. He went to probably 30 health and fitness center everywhere he went they ordered them he started producing them just on a small run well it got where he had sold about 10,000 of those and had orders for more then he did in fact go to one of the bigger companies I won't tell you which one but he went to one of the bigger companies they did partner with him bought him out a very nice fat figure and he went up from there but that's how it works you have to have some success under your belt to have any real attraction from an established company or investors well you know what we're I'm, i've got uh, some others here i want to talk about how you talk somebody else into being an entrepreneur i got some questions i'll group those for next week about uh, how difficult it is to talk somebody else into being an entrepreneur just because you're enjoying it or you see the advantages and you see somebody who's frustrated and not getting enough work or losing their job and you think, well, just be an entrepreneur. I mean, asking somebody else to be an entrepreneur is kind of like pushing a rope. It's pretty difficult to do. They have to see it. They want to have, they have to want it, salivate for it. Then they'll have the motivation to make it work on their own. Can't talk them into doing it. We have to give people the options let them choose. That's why you don't hear me saying everybody ought to be an entrepreneur. I mean, do I enjoy the benefits? My goodness, you better believe it. I love the flexibility and open-ended income that it provides. Do I recommend it for everybody? No. I want to know first about a, a person's story. 
I want to know what they're looking for, how they're wired, how they make decisions. Then we can decide, is that a better choice or not? There's a lot of other things you can use in today's work models. Might be a better fit. Hey, that's the way we look at it. Well, again, if you're a podcast listener, you register for the Innovate event, put in how you found out about it. So you heard me talk about this on this particular episode. I'm going to do an interview with you and get you on as a guest in an upcoming podcast. So be sure to point that out. Let me know about that. We'd love to meet you here. Got other events coming up. If you aren't involved in the 48days.net community, jump in there. There's a lot of exciting things happening there you need to know about. Well, this is a fun process. This is one of the highlights of my week every week. Open those questions. You can shoot those questions in to askdan at 48days.com or go to the podcast link. Just open that up, 48days.com. You'll see an opportunity there to submit your question. I'd love to consider it for an upcoming radio episode. Thanks for being part of this community where you are thinking, you're doing things other people aren't doing. You're finding or creating work that is meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable.